Amen. Good morning. Again. As you guys very well know who were here last week, we started our study in 1 Thessalonians, right? And uh, we, we laid some groundwork, and uh, we, we established last week, uh, prior to getting into the book of 1 Thessalonians, how the church in Thessalonica came into existence, right? We looked into Acts chapter 16, where God proclaimed the, the loud no to Paul about going in uh, further into Asia Minor and redirected him through a vision, remember, of the man from Macedonia calling for his help. And so they concluded that it was the will of God then to go to Macedonia. So they go to Macedonia and there we, they find the woman down by the river, right, Lydia, and, and she's converted in, in Philippi. The demon-possessed girl is then liberated and I believe converted by the power of God. And then Paul and, and Silas were imprisoned. Uh, and, 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 and then uh, the, the Lord, through, their, uh, through an expression of his goodness, uh, liberates him. The jailer and his entire family were saved, right? This was all happening in Philippi. This was born out of a no from God. And we talked about the value of the no's, right? We need... We need to, when God says no, it's because God's got a yes somewhere else. And sometimes the no is, 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 a, is accomplishing getting us on the right path, right? So we, we shouldn't resist the no. We should understand, submit, and, under, and, 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 and discern what the no is really all about. And so uh, the church of Philippi was born out of uh, Lydia, down by the river, the demon-possessed Girl and the jailer, these are three groups of people that we knew the church was founded on, which later Paul writes to them uh, out of chapter 14 of, of Philippians, right? Uh, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And some of those people getting that letter may have been those three, right? Now he leaves Philippi, he comes into Thessalonica. He does the same thing, right? As was his custom, he goes to the synagogue. For three weeks in Thessalonica, he teaches at the synagogue. He presents the gospel, right? He opens it fully. We talked about that. And then he demonstrates. He lives. He expresses. He shows himself. And great things take place there. The church is born. This is in three weeks. And then he, he's basically ushered off because the same thing happens to him in Thessalonica that, that happens in Philippi. He ends up in Berea, and as was his custom, straight to the synagogue. I mean, he's not getting tired of this stuff. Man, he just keeps doing it. And then somewhere along the lines, we find out between Berea and Athens and Corinth that uh, Timothy and Silas were sent back to Macedonia. We know this because the scripture, chapter 18, says that Timothy and Silas returned from Macedonia into Corinth to greet Paul. Right? So we know this. They were separated. If you go into chapter 3, I believe it is in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this very thing, that he sent Timothy back to check on them. Right? We know this. 
And so all of this is happening. All this is, and, and so we get this overview, man. If you want to talk about a view from maybe 10,000 miles up, you know, or 10 miles up, you get this view of what's happening here at this church at Thessalonica. We, we, with that understanding, we then approach the Scripture differently because we have context for what Paul is saying to them. A lot of times we want to read this scripture, remove it from the context of the people involved, and we want to make these general statements as though this is applicable to every other situation. Times it is, and at other times it's not. It's, it, it's exclusive to the individuals that he's writing to. And so you're, what you're going to figure out as we work our way through this, Paul wasn't writing the New Testament. And I said to you last week, 1 Thessalonians is the oldest letter in the New Testament. The first letter Paul wrote. The older, older than the Gospels. The first letter written by Paul. Paul didn't think he's writing the New Testament. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit to this young church in Thessalonica. You, are you tracking with me? You understand what I'm saying? So as we begin to read further into this, because last week, man, we jumped into 1 Thessalonians, I mean, head first, we got through verse 1. Right? And so today we're going to get through verse 5. And I know what you're thinking. Trent, that was 66 sermons in Exodus. You're on pace to get about 50 out of five chapters. Right? Well, we may. But when we get done with this, we're going to have a hold of this. And more than that, I'm praying it's got a hold of us. Right? Right? All right. So we've got some context. And now we're going to read some verses. We're going to read ten verses, not to scare you, but we're only going to cover five. And the reason we're going to read all ten is because the other five verses are going to flow right into next week. Because we're going to get this, this view of these Thessalonian or these Thessalonian believers and a level of maturation, maturity that was born in such a brief period of time that it should then encourage us to understand maturity in God and our relationship with Jesus is within our grasp. It's not something that we must wait for to the end of our life. Okay, so let's look at this scripture. Pull that up, my young brother. I'll say that to Clark. Look at him back there. Pull that up, young man. 1 Thessalonians, verse 1. We're going to read these 10 verses. Stay with me. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We touched on that briefly. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
The Lord's message, we're going to get to this next week. The Lord's message rang out. That's what it says. Rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, in, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, help us navigate this to the benefit of every hearer here. Every brother and sister, oh God, I pray today that there is an invigoration of your spirit, a revelation of your word that leads all of us into maturity. That we can then navigate, we can then discern, we can then understand the good, perfect, and pleasing will of God. Your will for us. Grow us up. In the name of Jesus, the sons and daughters of God said, Amen. Okay, to my brother and my sister whose phone just came on, there is no condemnation for you, but turn it off. We've all left it on a time or two. Not that I have, or have I. I probably have. All right, listen, let's, let's check this out. couple things I want you guys to see at the very beginning. Go to verse 1. You're like, Trent, we already covered verse 1. It took 45 minutes to get through verse 1. Why are you back at verse 1? It's very, very important. But we won't stay here long. We'll, we'll move on, okay? We'll move on quickly. But let's look at this. There's something I need you to see, need you to understand, because we're looking for maturity, right? Okay? All right? It says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, listen to this, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Now I'm going to give you this deep revelation right here, right off the bat, that will astound you. When he says to the church of the Thessalonians, he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. And I know what you're thinking. Thank you, Pastor Captain Obvious, right? We get that. We see that. But what I want you to understand when you read these words is what it's not saying. It is not saying to the church in Thessalonica. It is saying to the church of Thessalonica. Why is that? Because the church isn't a location but a description of the identity of the people who are in Christ, right? The word church is the Greek word ecclesia. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. You've heard that, that said many times, right? Ecclesia, the Greek word for church. And it means basically to be called out from and into. To be called out from and into. So where he's writing this letter isn't a given location, but to a group of people who have been called out of and into Jesus. That's what I'm writing this to. And you say, well, Trent, why is that important? It's important for us to define who the church is. If you think the church is at 100 hops and way, you are incorrect. That isn't where the church is. 
The church is in you, those of you who have been called out of and to. Meaning what? It means the church is extremely mobile. Meaning when you leave here today and this building empties out, then the church has vacated the premises at 100 Hobson Way, though the building remain in place. Are you, are, are you getting this? It's out of and into. Hence, Paul says this to the church of the Thessalonians. Listen to this, what he says, okay? He says this, to the church of the Thessalonians, watch, in God the Father and the inclusive ants and in the Lord Jesus Christ. These aren't people at a location. These are people who have been called out and called in. Are you tracking with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm going to, I'm going to touch on something, and this wasn't, this, this wasn't in play I wrote this scripture down because I want, I want you to understand this because this was kind of born in the last, last moment. We as followers of Jesus who have been called out and called in, we are the glory of God. You understand that, right? Do you know he expresses his glory through our lives? You know that? Do you get that? Did you, do you understand that you are the vehicle by which God in Christ Jesus has desired and determined to express his glory in this world? You are it, man. You are it. God desires to express himself through those whom he's called out and called into Jesus. That's the reason this morning when I spoke to you guys about Larry Merrick and his wife and their difficulty, and I, bes I beseeched you, I, I, I pled with you to come to the aid of our brothers and sisters, do you know why it is our responsibility to do such a thing? Because of what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Listen to this. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you make the correlation? Do you connect? Who's in Christ Jesus but those of us, the ecclesia, who have been called out and called in? It is us. And when we abandon our responsibility to one another and we forsake it, when God is saying to us, you be my provision, my, you are my riches in glory in Jesus, and I'm going to show myself through you. So when I deliver the check, or whoever delivers this check, I guarantee you, guarantee you, that Larry Merrick will not say, Lord, praise God for Trent Evans. I mean, people in my house don't even say that. Right? Right? That's not what he's going to say. You know what he's going to say? Praise be to God. Oh, the glory of God expressed and exercised in my place of need. And you know what you and I have a tendency to do? We tend to read that scripture and we just tend to pray that the heavens would open and dollars and checks and coins would just fall from the portals of heaven out of the ether. But it doesn't happen, does it? It doesn't happen. 
It doesn't happen. But God uses you and me. Why is that? Because we're in Jesus. These Thessalonians, we're in Jesus. So let me say this. Because what we're about to get into is what's happening in these jokers' lives, man. And I'm telling you, it, it, it's depressing when you see what's happening in their life and then you see what's been happening in our lives. And you're like, what are we missing? How does the maturation, how does this thing bloom so quickly? And in our lives, it can be just, just, just stifled and smothered. Can you honestly say this morning, rhetorical question, don't, we can have a conversation after service, if you can catch me. Are you called out and called in? I'm not asking you if you're a covenant member. I'm not asking you if you attend church, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying have you been called out and called into Jesus, Ecclesia, is that you? Honestly, is that you or are you just that cat that occupies that seat every Sunday at 11.05? Or do you know deep in your being you're in him? That's a question to be answered that only you can answer. I can't answer that, right? Okay, let's, let's move on because we have four verses to cover, right? Let's look at two and three. Now check this out, and you've got to stay with me. He says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. And then he says this, we remember, we remember, this is a preceding clause. Everything that follows this is in reflection to the remembering. Listen to what he says. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope, and the included clause at the end is in our Lord Jesus Christ. So everything that is stated right there, we could literally address it like this. We remember your work produced by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember your labor prompted by love in our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Now check this out. Everything that he just mentioned when he says we remember was born out of an experience that was roughly three weeks old. So in three weeks, in three weeks when he remembers what he experienced in those three weeks in Thessalonica, he says, this is what I saw three weeks into your conversion. I saw work produced by faith, love or labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope. In three weeks, we remember. We remember. So there's a, there's a statement that I've, I've made from the pulpit at different times over the last 10 years, and I'll make it again today. I'll stand by the statement. I feel that it's absolutely true, 100% accurate. Maturity in Jesus doesn't always correspond with longevity in the church. Right? 
Meaning, you can have a one-year experience 25 times. And 25 years into your walk, you are still one year old. And you say, well, Trent, that's pretty harsh stuff. But you know this, do you not? We've seen this, have we not? We've witnessed this. Yes, we have. People who, have, who will say, I've been in the church for 30 years. But they're at the exact same spot that they were in in the very first year because what they've done is lived that first year experience over and over and over and over again never rooting and maturing and growing out of that. So they are still docile, complacent, passive, still an infant, 25 years into the faith. Because it's not 25 years of experience and growing and maturing. He says this, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. The, the, the word work there is the, word, the Greek word ergon. Listen to this. And it means an action completed out of an inner desire. Not out of manipulation, not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out of this sense of having to pay God back, but there's an inner desire for this faith thing that resides in you to express itself. That's the ergon, right? And some of us need to drop the shame, the guilt. We need to embrace the ergon. The work, the expression, the service born out of an inner desire, much like Jeremiah when he talked about the word of God being shut up in him was like a consuming fire, basically. I feel like fire's been shut up in my bones. Ergon would suggest if it's not expressed, it will incinerate you. We, as believers in Jesus, if we're not expressing the ergon, then maybe what would really uh, uh, would give us a great revelation would be if that ergon would then generate a spontaneous uh, combustion amongst the churches. We would literally have fires everywhere where people have been, the deposit of God has been placed in them, yet the ergon's not being expressed. We literally should have fires just popping up everywhere where the ergon's not being let out. It's not being... Produced. Right? I know what some of you are thinking. I'm going to open that Bible hub. I'm going to check out that ergon. Trent, Trent sounds crazy. That's exactly what the scripture says. That's exactly what it talks about. When it, talks, it talks about something born out of an inner desire. I love what the Amplified Bible says right here. It says, your work energized, energized by faith. That's what he's talking about, man. I mean, this fuel thing. This thing's turning, right? It's turning. Because faith expressed is absolutely essential in a vibrant, maturing walk with Jesus. You show me a man who isn't expressing his faith, and I'll show you a dead man walking. Right? James says it so beautifully, the brother of Jesus, 
He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And what he is basically saying is that if the individual isn't exercising their faith, then the, the faith itself, without the accompanying expressions, the ergon, it'll die on the branch, man. You know this to be true. We know, we know this to be true. Listen, just a couple weeks ago, uh, a great team of missionaries, tongue-in-cheek, set out for Grayson County. It was myself. It was Kevin Cappell, a lesser missionary. And, and, no, no, I'm just, and Danny Payne. And we set out from the parking lot out here. And we had a concrete and we had plans and we were going to go down to Carl Bauer's house and we were going to crawl underneath his house a crawl space that Carl said was 24 inches I got under there and uh, there might have been a hole that would allow for a crawl space of 24 inches but the vast majority of the crawl space was close to probably to 14 to 20 inches and so we get down there and we're going to help my brother. My brother's got a, got a fireplace, David, you would know this, and the flooring hadn't been reinforced. And so it was beginning to sag. So he had dug holes. We were going to get underneath that house, 30 foot underneath that house from every direction, every entry spot. And we were going to pour concrete into those holes, allow it to set up, and then we were going to put extra support underneath there. I get underneath there, open up the crawl space door. My fellow missionaries behind me. I crawled in there. I crawled by. Kevin Campbell said, Trent, the look on your face when you come out of that crawl space was no can do. <laughs> My face don't lie, does the brother? My face don't lie. So we conversed with Carl. We said, Carl, here's the game plan, brother. It was Kevin's suggestion, anointed by the Spirit of God to save our lives. <laughs> he said, right here in front of your Fireplace, there's some tile that's already cracked. It's going to have to be replaced. Let's just cut a big hole right here. I was like, yeah, let's just cut a hole in your floor. Uh, it's your floor. Yeah, man. Carl conceded, apprehensive as he was. He conceded. We were out there mixing. I don't know how many, how many pounds of concrete. We were out there mixing in a five-gallon bucket, David, with a drill and a paint auger. Mixing his concrete up. I was mixing it. Kevin was packing it. Danny was under there. He's smaller than I am. He deserved to be under there. He's mature. <laughs> Get under there. I, I went to crawl in there. Didn't I? I went to go through those, 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 those floor joists. I said, I can make it. I got about halfway in there. I said, I can't make it. <laughs> Danny, said, Danny said, I can make it. I was like, boy, I got him. I, I twisted and got stuck on purpose, right? Oh, okay. So we come. So I'm mixing this concrete. They're packing it in there. They're they're handing it down. They're pouring it. And they're waiting for me to mix them. And so we get it done. And we're hot and we're nasty and 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 all of our plans have have kind of just uh, completely uh, fallen apart. And we were getting ready to leave. And Kevin will attest to this. Danny will attest to this. I go in. Carl is getting cleaned up, and I knock on his, on his door. Remember that? I said, hey, Carl. I said, thank you for letting us come down here and do this. You know why? I didn't want to combust. It's the ergon. I got to do something. We got to do something. 
We've got to flesh this thing out, man. We've got to get this thing out of us. I left there fatigued in my body, which was restored with a double cheeseburger from Dairy Queen, but in my spirit invigorated. Why? Because I was able to engage my brother, right? I was able to engage my brother with the ergon, the desire that was in me. I was able to flesh it out with my other brothers and love him. And all that was produced by faith. And it's an absolute necessity. There's nowhere getting on. And that's what he said. He said, we remember in those three weeks that you were having work produced by your faith. Erdogan was in your, your, your life. And then he says this, and I will not labor here too long. Your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. You know what Paul was saying? I saw your love deeds. Not your good deeds. Not your nice deeds. I saw your love deeds. Everything you did, man, it, it smelled like and looked like and tasted like. Love. I saw that. I saw your labor prompted by love. And then he says this. In a three-week experience, not only your labor prompted by love, I saw your endurance inspired by hope. Hoop amane. And it literally in the Greek means to remain under a steadfastness. What were they remaining under and steadfast about? When the scripture says right there, your endurance inspired by hope, your resiliency. You know why? Because they were being persecuted. Man, these cats were three weeks into this thing, man. And they were having the whip put to them. And Paul said, man, I remember under the intense persecution your endurance and your steadfastness that was secured and your hope found in Jesus. <laughs> That's what being in Jesus produces in our life. You get that, right? You see that? That's what Ergon produced by faith, your labor, your love deeds, and your stamina, your endurance, tethered to the hope in Jesus. Right? You see this? Is this us? I'm sorry, I shouldn't even say, is this me? Is this me? Is this me? And then he says this, and this is a transformative truth that you and I should be exercising in our reality. Listen to this. For we know brothers and sisters loved by God that he has chosen you. That he has chosen you. Brothers and sisters loved by God, when the rest of the world has rejected you, when you feel like 
You're the throwaway. Discarded, even by people who should have loved you. And you feel like, man, you're out there on the ledge. You're the last kid picked kind of thing in the game of life. That is not the case, for you're loved by God, picked by Him, chosen, the scripture would say. Chosen by God. And He's saying this to these young believers who have been called out of idol worship, who might be conflicted with the congregation that might gather at the synagogue who would declare, no, we are the chosen people. We are the Jewish people. We are God's people. And Paul says to them, though you once were an idolater, though you once were distant and separated from God, you, my brother and my sister, you are loved by God. Augustine, you need to know that, don't you? I, I need to know that. I need to be told at least half a dozen times a day, if not more, reminded that I'm loved by God, chosen by God, when everyone else has rejected us. That's what he says to them. Chosen by God, brothers and sisters, loved by God. When it says he has chosen you, remember that ecclesia, ecclesia, remember that? Caught out into, this word is akin to it. It is the word ekloge, and it means... Listen, the ek is the called out in two. The lego, the lege, is to a conclusion or a purpose. You know what he was saying to them? Hey, guys, you're part of the church or the ecclesia, the called out in two. But you've got a little lego going on in you, some lego. Because there's a purpose connected to this as well. It's not just called out in two. It's a purpose-driven thing. Right? Lego, it's, it's spelled L-E-G-O. You're familiar with the term, are you not? Ole Kurt Christensen, a Danish businessman, didn't realize until later that the toy he created that meant play well actually in its original meaning described his creation much better to a purpose, the Lego. And you know what I'm talking about, right? The most devilish, satanic toy ever created known to every foot of every father who has a Lego in their house. Each of those Lego blocks created for a purpose. That's the original meaning. And so when he says that, hey, you called out, you called to, and it's with a purpose. And he's telling them this, man, you've got to get this. You've got to get this, kids, in Thessalonica, the church. You've been called out, called to, with purpose. Let's, let's, we're, we're, going to, we're going to close, okay? I know you're thinking, close. Trent, you've only been up for 40 minutes. You're closing already. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, he says this. And this is the how. And you see it. This is how all this happened. And we need to know how because we want it, right? We want to be like these cats. Well, how did it happen? Well, I need to know how it happens so I can experience it. And this is how it happens. This is what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, loved by God, 
that He has chosen you, He has chosen you because, this is how it happened, because our gospel came to you not simply with words. Do you see what He's saying? He didn't say it didn't come to you with words. He just said it wasn't words only. It wasn't words only. But words are accompanied by what then follows it. And he says, but also with power. Now it's not power only. It's words that preceded it. Do you get this? There is a balance in the transformative, maturing power of God between the expression of God's written word and revelation and an experience in the dunamis, the power of God. Right? You abandon either aspect and you will dry up on the branch, man. You become a MacArthur who's entrenched in only the Word, or then you become one of these other cats who's only entrenched in the Spirit, and man, you'll be out there on the most unshaky ground you've ever experienced. When we as followers of Jesus, even in reading this context, and we're keeping it contextual, understand that the Word was involved, that the message was involved, and the power of the Spirit was involved, right? And he says, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit. I, I love, you, you guys know, I love the dunamis word, right? That's my favorite Greek word. I've said this a hundred times. It, it literally means power through God's ability. That's a definition, but there's word renderings to describe it. Might, energy, and for you Star Wars fans, force. You know, what I, you know what I mean? Can I encapsulate it? Power deeds. You remember talking about the love deeds earlier? They were exercising the love deeds. These are power deeds expressed by God through his spirit, through his might. This is how it's happening. And then he says this, and deep conviction, which just means for assurance, fully confident, fully convinced, fully resolved. And let me say this, and we're closing. That type, that type of deep conviction, assurance, is done on a personal level, not a corporate level. You realize that, right? I can't do that for you. You can't do it for me. No one's getting deep conviction, full assurance, resolve in their heart from some spiritual uh, bug that's going around. You know what I'm talking about? This isn't contracted through some spiritual osmosis. That if you're around me enough, you're going to have the resolve that I have. Or if I'm around you enough, I'm going to have the resolve that you've got. This is something done on a personal level it even implies that, the deep conviction, the deep assurance, the deep resolve on a personal level is only experienced on an individual basis. Hence, you enter and leave places like this completely different than the person you're sitting beside. Having listened to the same sermon, Sung the same song, given to the same offering, yet you leave different. 
Because this is a work of God done through his word by the power of his spirit and with deep conviction in the heart of the person. And this is your response to the gospel. Your response. And that is the beautiful, freeing opportunity. Something for us all to consider is this. No one can keep you unresponsive. No one has the power to keep you away from God. No one has the power to prevent these things from happening in your life. No one has that. No one can shut you off but you, but you. You are the only one. And you know what Paul says? And you and I should be living lives in such a manner that we would never come into conflict or create a barrier for someone else to experience these things. At the end of verse 5, you know what Paul says right there? Having expressed every bit of that, you see it up there. This ain't a sleight of hand. I'm not tricking him. See what? You know how he lived among you for your sake. I could almost read into that. All this God was doing, and we lived in a manner not to get into the way of what God was doing. Oh, that I would live. The same thing out in my life and encouraging others to do the same. That my life would be framed and structured in his love and his spirit in such a way that Trent isn't a hindrance to you guys coming into this experience. My prayer is that none of us would be that hindrance. My prayer is that all of us would have this experience that's found in Jesus. But it's yours to decide, right? I can't. I can sit by Michael all day. He can sit by me all day. That's not changing him and it's not changing me. But he can make one decision. And I can make one decision. And the gate's open, man. The gate opens. Stand with me this morning, if you would, please. Mm. With our heads bowed. Listen, we... No, nothing happening here, nothing happening. I'm just asking you to bow your heads, close your eyes just for this reason. That you might enter into that sacred place, that closet, that prayer closet. No one can see you there. No one can enter into that place with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Nor can you enter into another person's sanctum. That, that, that closet of prayer between them and the Father and Jesus. You've entered into that place. And I would ask you this morning, what is keeping you 
from living this out? What is keeping you from giving yourself completely over to God? What is keeping you out instead of in Jesus? I'm going to tell you, it's you. It's not your neighbor. It's not the person in front, behind, to the sides. It's not your coworker. It's not your family member. It's not your former past church hurt. It's you. Because you're the only one that has that opportunity to respond to God for you. And so this morning, we are going to pray. Decisions will be made, not, not at 100 hops and way. Decisions will be made in your heart regarding, regarding the good news of Jesus. The decisions will be made in your heart, will be expressed and manifest out there. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, for everyone who's in the hearing of my voice right now, who has is, who is heard as we have tried to navigate these five verses, I pray, Father, wherever in this transition through navigating through, you have spoke to the young man, the young woman, the older man, the older woman, wherever in between, I pray, God, I ask you, Father, in Jesus, that they would know their cries are heard today. If there's that individual, Father, who cries out this morning and confesses and acknowledges their own need their own need for you and the redemptive work that Jesus performed on the cross, validated through the resurrection. If they're willing to accept that this morning, Lord, if they're willing to acknowledge that this morning, Lord, what I know in my heart, because your word says it, they are three weeks away. Three weeks away from Thessalonian maturity. For in three weeks this was done. And Father, because we posture our hearts in submission to you, and our spirits to the discipline, the teaching of your spirit, there can be accelerated maturity beyond years, even beyond experience. In that sense, you can grow us up. I pray, Father, I ask you, Father, for the, the family here that we would grow up, that we as individuals would grow up, 
that we would mature fully in Jesus. And in so doing, have an impact out there Because that's what you desire in us and through us. So, Father, hear your sons, your daughters, those who cry out to you. Respond to them. May decisions made in the heart at this very moment be expressed and lived out after this moment. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, we ask this. And the sons and daughters of God, loved and chosen by him, in Jesus' name, said amen. Amen. God bless you.